Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of True Presence for Catholic Moms. I'm your host, Kelsey Pascarell, and I teach Catholic moms like you how to design your life on purpose with the Lord. With all the liturgical holidays coming up over the next few months, I thought we'd bring in someone special. We have Kendra Tierney of Catholic All Year. You may have seen her show on Formed, or if you're like me, maybe you've been reading her blog for a few years and seen all these wonderful ideas she has for liturgical living in our daily lives. So today, we're talking about how to do that without overwhelm and how to make it a truly sustainable part of your family's way of life. So if you've ever wanted to do more but felt like it was too intimidating, this episode is full of nuggets to help you start on that journey. I can't wait for you to hear all of her wonderful advice. Hey there, Mama. This is True Presence, the podcast where Catholic moms like you and me learn to be embodied souls. St. Catherine of Siena said, Be who you were meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. In the midst of hurry, worry, and social media, we're doing a 180 and focusing on real presence, communion, connection, natural living, and bringing eternity into our hearts and homes. I'm your host, Kelsey, and I'm so glad you're here. All right, friends, I know it seems a little bit early to be talking about this, but believe it or not, Advent is right around the corner. And I want to ask you something. How do you want your Advent to feel this year? Because I bet for a lot of you, it actually feels like one of the most rushed and hurried and crazy seasons of the year. And what I want my Advent to feel like, I want it to feel pensive and peaceful and reflective. I want it to be time with family spent in prayer and preparing our hearts and our homes for Christmas. The way that we can do that is by getting ahead of it, to not let Advent become the season of all the shopping and the commercialism and the rushing around for all the last minute things. What we're going to try to do and what I'm planning for you guys is to host a three-day challenge where we're going to start our November by getting all of our planning done so that you can get ahead this year. Get your Christmas stuff done. Get in a place to where Advent feels slow, unhurried, and peaceful. If you want to sign up for that, I've got a link in the show notes. The challenge is called Savor Advent. Please sign up. Invite your friends. I can't wait to see you in there. Kendra, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm just so delighted to talk to you about liturgical living and how you've implemented that in your life. You have such great ideas on your website and all the products that you've made and your books and now your show too. Thank you so much. It's something I care a lot about. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get it out there in as many different formats as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually leads to my first question. When I'd really love to know, what is your why behind liturgical living? What's the vision you have? What kind of an impact do you want it to have on your kids, on the world? Yeah, so I think, uh, uh, you know, our goal as parents, I think our, our number one goal has to be getting our kids and our, ourselves to heaven. And, you know, ideally our friends and extended family members and our neighbors and, and, you know, as many people as we can. So the the goal is to grow in understanding about the faith and in personal holiness and get to heaven ourselves and bring as many people as we can with us. And 
as I was sort of exploring that as as a young mom, you know, sort of growing in 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 my own faith that you know I was raised I was baptized and raised Catholic, but but not with you know re- really any of this sort of cultural tradition surrounding it. Not not much catechism, not much formation. So I was trying to learn those things in order to be able to teach them to my kids. And what I was searching for was a way that I could teach my kids about the faith in a way that that was sort of whole and, you know, and authentic, but also fun. And it just, as I was learning more about the faith, I realized there are all these beautiful sort of, these beautiful Catholic traditions and prayers and activities and foods, and they're all sort of woven in around the liturgical calendar. And, and it wasn't something I was familiar with at all growing up. I hadn't heard of it before, but, but if my goal is, you know, how do I get my kids to understand their faith and to stay Catholic? And here it is, this sort of template that, that I wasn't familiar with at all of how to teach different types of devotions, different types of prayers, important pieces of doctrine, the lives of the saints. It's, it's all there. It's all included in in the Catholic liturgical calendar. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're really on to something with this because I think sometimes when we're thinking about how to live out our faith, it can be so easy to fall into what not to do as the main focus of it. But one of the things that I've absolutely been blown away by is how it really it helps to create this culture of the things that are so beautiful and wonderful about our faith. Like, why why don't we do all these other things that the rest of the world does? Well, actually, we have all these other things that are even better, that are more fun, that are so special, that bring us together as a family. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's, that's such a good perspective on it. And And honestly, that's sort of how I ended up looking for something to begin with is is my husband and I were thinking you know we we want to you know we want our kids to be good catholics so what do we have to do you know we got to teach them how to sit quietly in mass we got to teach them how to say the rosary reverently we have to like how much fasting should we be doing and you know how do we really how do we really observe lent and and all of those things and i do think that you know, those things are important and they are, you know, a way to strengthen our faith. And they are definitely still a part of our of our practice of the faith. But but what I learned as I was researching, you know, how do I do those things is that there was this whole world of things, like you said, to do to, to celebrate, to be edified by, to share in community that that I just didn't even know existed at all. And 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 that's the beauty of the Catholic faith is that it is so whole. It is so balanced. So there are times of fasting, and that's what I wanted to learn how to do. But I didn't even realize there were these periods of feasting and these little celebrations. And to present both to to my family has made our faith not only more enjoyable, but more cohesive. It makes more sense because it all balances out. 
Absolutely. One of the things though I will say is that sometimes it can seem really overwhelming when we're looking at all of these events to plan and things like that. What was the evolution like of this for you? How were things different when you were in the season of all littles compared to, for instance, now when you've got a mix of ages from kids who are already in college down to a toddler? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that 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 is a major hurdle for anybody trying to get started on this because it really it's not like, oh, I'm going to get this particular, you know, curriculum or, you know, I'm going to do this Bible study or something like this is it's a lifestyle. It really is. But the nice thing about it is that you really can start as small as you need to. What we did was start with things that we were doing anyway, and just sort of trying to tweak them to be a little bit more Catholic. And the first books that I read about liturgical living in the home were two books written in the 1960s, um, The Year and Our Children by Mary Reed Newland and one by Maria Von Trapp called Around the Year with the, the Trapp, Von Trapp family. And I remember reading them and being and thinking to myself, wow, this is it. Like, this is how I want my family to live. And then also same breath going, but I can't do this. I can't do this right now. It's just too much. I have all these little kids. But it just really felt so much like something that I wanted to be able to do. And so, you know, like I said, I, I, I started small. I started with things that, that felt manageable to me. And, and honestly, my, in my family, that is having parties. That's something that I grew up doing. And so did my husband's family. So, so we used feast days as an, as an excuse to have a party. And we did that here and there for for fun feast days one of the very first ones we did was for for Michaelmas and we just had a couple of the you know a couple families from the neighborhood over and we and we we had a devil piñata that the kids could hit with with wooden swords and it was just such a it was a fun neighborhood thing and especially because our one of my kids uh, our, our right across the street neighbors were also homeschoolers so they were protestant but the angels and devils thing was something that we could share because that was a saint we had in common. But as far as what are the first steps? And, you know, I get that question a lot. What are the first steps? And I think that it's easiest to focus inward, sort of on the people that we care about the most, because, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people, the reason this all starts is because we want to do this for our kids. We want to learn this stuff. We want to introduce this stuff for our kids. So I, I tell people to focus on what we call the three special days, which is... You know, so every kid in the family gets three special days and that's your birthday, which we were already celebrating. But then they also get, we also celebrate their name day and their baptism anniversary. And I, it's, it's just sort of a way for our actions and our, you know, celebrations to, to reflect what we, the, the truth of what we believe about the Catholic faith. So if we're going to be celebrating our birthdays, which is, you know, the cultural norm. So let's do that. But but we also need to be celebrating our baptism day because it's so much more important in an eternal sense. And it's such an easy way to, you know, to sort of prove to our kids that we think that this is special by doing a little celebration for them, which is we light our baptismal candles on, uh, on a child's baptismal anniversary. We pull out their baptism candle, or if you don't know where your baptismal candle is, Catholic all year sells. <laughs> Sells replacement ones for your three special days because I can't always keep track of everyone's. Yeah, so we we pull out their baptismal candle. We renew our baptism promises. 
They get to pick what meal we have for the day. We sing for he's a jolly good fellow or for she's a jolly good fellow. And we have a dessert. And so it doesn't take a lot of planning for me. But, you know, the child feels special. They get to they get to be the special kid for the day and, you know, pick if we're going to watch a show or where they get to sit and, you know, silly things like that. And then also their name day, which is their either, you know, patron saint that we've chosen or the saint associated with with their name. And it's a beautiful way to introduce that saint to them as this intercessor, as somebody that we want them to get to know and be inspired by. And and again, it's, you know, it's it's these set days that that we put on the calendar and, you know, and it's just it, it really it, it, it's a beautiful way to sort of emphasize those days for for our kids. I can see how it would just be absolutely delightful to the kids to have those and to really feel connected to their saints. But at the same time, do you ever find it challenging just to have so many celebrations? Because you have 10 children? <laughs> yes. 10 children. So even with that, that's like 30 celebrations. I, I'd love if you could walk us through your planning process, you know, just practical side of it. How do you manage the details? How far ahead do you plan this? Yeah. And uh, so I think that the danger is to overdo things. I'm sort of an overdoer of things and historically, but that's been the beauty for me of having a lot of kids is that it has required me to, to let go of, of that, to, you know, let kids help to be sort of more spontaneous about things. And that, and that has worked really well to the kids know that, that we do the three special days. So they know that, you know, that what that means for them is they're going to get to pick what we have for dinner. Now, if I can plan it ahead enough, it means, you know, I'll go to the grocery store and they can have whatever they want, you know, within reason. But on days that I, that I, you know, didn't plan ahead, then they just get to pick from whatever we have in the house and we can figure out a dessert and, you know, and it's still fun. And the point of it really is, is for the kids to feel like they are the special person that day. And that doesn't require a lot of advanced planning. That doesn't require a lot of resources. It doesn't require, you know, a, a Pinterest worthy, you know, party. It's, it, it's really about, about, setting setting the stage for the conversation talking about what does baptism mean talking about you know who your godparents are what happened on the day of your baptism and just making that part of our family stories and and the big hurdle i think is prioritizing a family dinner which in this very scheduled society is the challenge but i knew that that was something that we really wanted to prioritize in our family. So we, so we always have. So once you were going to sit down for a meal anyway, then I don't find it to be, you know, a big challenge to sort of, you know, to highlight one of the kids to let them pick the dinner. And it can be as simple as, you know, spaghetti because it's an Italian saint or some sort of a food pun. Like, you know, we, we had St. Thomas s'mores for the feast of St. Thomas More. I love uh, that. <laughs> and, you know, and really easy. I, I actually, I, I thought we had the supplies for it already. We didn't. And I had to send my oldest son out to the, out to the store to get marshmallows. But really for us, it's just sort of that having that mindset for having the meal that we plan 
set the stage for a conversation and it gets us talking like, okay, why are we having this meal? What was the story of the life of, of St. James? You're uh, right. We, we tend to overcomplicate it sometimes, but as long as they are having fun and they're learning and it makes it memorable, then we've really, we've really accomplished a lot there, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. It really is so easy for us to get information these days, but I just slowly and sh- surely started researching the, the same days and learning about the story of the saints' lives, learning about recipes and activities that are associated with different feast days. Um, and as much as I loved those old liturgical living books that I that I mentioned, you know, they didn't always feel like they were really in in step with what my day-to-day life looked like. And I, I definitely am more capable of doing some of the more homemade from scratch things that they talk about in in those books now. But but when I was putting together my book, The Catholic All Year Compendium, I just I wanted to to really, you know, keep it as simple as as possible and keep it, you know, foods and, you know, recipes that I thought I could manage with little kids that I could let them help me with. And so there's like there's about 100 feast days in the book. So that seems like a lot. And there is no reason that anybody has to celebrate all of them. And we don't celebrate all of them every year. So we just pick and choose the ones that work for our family. In there, I just have sort of a little summary of the, of the saints, of the history, you know, of the saint's life or the, or the doctrine behind the, the feast day. And then just some little ideas that we've done in our house. Things, things that like for Marian feast days, we just go and we get our little, our, our little Marian knickknacks, our little Mary statues that we've collected on travels or that kids have been given as gifts. And we just walk around the yard singing um, Ave Maria. And as simple as, as it is, it, it really is a beautiful way to mimic the Catholic, the ways that Catholics honor Mary at big pilgrimages sites like Lourdes and Fatima. We can do our own little version of that at our house with, you know, no advanced planning. And so we all get to participate. That's absolutely wonderful. So walk through this just a little bit more in detail. When when you're planning things out, what do you do? Do you do do you sit down like at the beginning of the year and decide what you're going to be doing? Do you have like monthly family meetings? Do you delegate things to the kids? What does that look like in practice? Yeah. So really the, the main thing for me is, is the, is the meal part is the, you know, sort of based around the, around the dinner table. So the main thing for me is meal planning. And if, if somebody wanted to do this better than I do it, they would just do regular meal planning one day a week. And then, you know, you just choose a couple feast days and that are coming up. For the upcoming week, you choose a meal that you're going to have that's associated with that feast day, and then, and it's a good w- way to kind of plan on getting kids involved a little bit more in the cooking process. Because I don't know if you're like me, it's uh, tempting to just chase them out, like let me just get this done. But when we were doing a feast day meal, I I, uh, I almost always have uh, make time to to let them help. But really, for me, it's having sort of a broad overview of the year of, well, we're always going to do this handful of, of, of feast days that are, are especially important to our family that, that my kids consider a, you know, family traditions. 
And th- there's maybe one a month of those. And, and you know, they include these days that everybody is celebrating like Christmas. But so they're, and those are sort of, those are the ones that we really do every year. And if we have conflicts and we need to move things around, that is allowed. These days get moved in the church officially and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's acceptable to move them around at, at home too. So, so those are the ones that are sort of our priority ones. And then, and then we have our family three special days that I have marked down on the calendar. And those will sometimes be a meal associated with the saint or sometimes just whatever the kid, you know, wants to eat for the day. And then, and then I just sort of sprinkle others in as we have time because I really do cooking is something that I enjoy. I like trying new recipes. I like looking for new recipes that are associated with things. And, and if that's not your jam, then, you know, there are definitely other ways to do this that you can, you know, you can have activities associated with it. Or maybe if, if your family's in the habit of going out to eat, you know, regularly, you can choose a restaurant that's, you know, that has food from the country that a saint is, is associated with. You can do more craft type activities, which is something that we really focus on. But, but I know a lot of other people really do like to do those sort of craft based things. But for, for us, really, it's just I look ahead at the calendar and I plan a meal that is associated with the feast day. Then there's the sort of there's the prayers and devotions aspect too. And that really, so these feast days also give us opportunity to introduce different, you know, litanies and novenas and, you know, different types of prayer practices to, to let our kids, you know, try those. And we can see which devotions really sort of speak to them, speak to us, which we want to incorporate more into the family or maybe others that we won't do again until next year. Um, And again, it's that it's it's using the liturgical calendar as as this plan, as this crutch. And the other beautiful thing about it, especially for busy families, is that, you know, if we have to skip something, if it's a if it's a rough year and we can't get to to things that we usually get to. Well, guess what? It just comes back around next year and and we just do it again then. I love that. I think that really helps with that hurdle of perfectionism, which can keep us from even getting started. You know, we feel like if we can't go all in and do it all right, then that's it. We've lost the chance. Why bother? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think that it it's clear that, you know, that that the liturgical calendar, it does give us this this sort of realistic way that we can approach things. And And I would say that the challenge now is that a lot of the responsibility for this stuff would have been at the community and township and country or, you know, in parish level, that there were saints that the, that would be celebrated by entire countries, by entire communities. And that a lot of times it feels like we're sort of on our own on it now. And so it all falls on mom's shoulders if any of it's going to happen. Um, but that's just that's the reality of where most of us live. Some people are are fortunate and 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 a lot of you know in some communities do have have these same day celebrations. Some people you know people have vibrant school communities or homeschool communities or parishes who are bringing some of these traditions back. But either way, the education of our children is the primary responsibility of the parent, regardless of what other broader resources are available to us. 
And for us, I, I look at, you know, if we want our kids to have real community, not just social media, not, not just screens, to have real getting together with other families, getting together with friends. And for us, the, the, our, our Catholic faith and the, and, and these feast day celebrations have been, have been such a good way to sort of inspire that and to be able to, you know, to, to get together in real life and, and, and to start some of these traditions in the community. And I love hearing about when, when people that we've had over for a particular feast day, and then, you know, a couple of months later, we'll get an invitation for them and they're going to do a little dinner party or a little backyard get together for kids for something. And, you know, it, it really might only take, you know, one person in a community to, to sort of get the ball rolling. I think you're so right. And I think it's so needed right now, especially post-COVID. You know, so many of the structures, the communities that we had before really disintegrated. And we're in this, this period right now of rebuilding. But one of the things that COVID just made so clear is that, yes, we are embodied souls. The relationships that we have in person are much more impactful and really real and full and whole than the ones that we have over, for instance, Zoom. And this sounds like such a really beautiful way to help revive those communities. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the one thing I I would love for people to, you know, like to believe about this is that you can have people over and they are, they are going to be grateful that you invited them. It doesn't have to be perfect. Your house does not have to be perfectly clean. I have people over often and there are always piles on my counters. And (laughs) I, you know, when we, when we shoot the TV show here, I move the piles into a different room, <laughs> but they still exist. And and I have never had anybody come over to our house and you know and and criticize criticize the piles. Most of the time, people were like, "Oh, you have piles too, great." And we you know and we share a meal together, and the kids run around and play. And we when when my husband was in in graduate school, we we had a bunch of people over. For, for Thanksgiving. And we lived in this tiny one bedroom apartment. And we we put together a bunch of card tables from the entryway out to the balcony so that we could seat 12 people at, at our little makeshift Thanksgiving dinner. And I just have great memories of cobbled together dinner parties like that. And I think that we can challenge ourselves to be generous with our time and resources. And if it's something that you feel like you could do to invite people into your home, it really does create that sense of intimacy and community that, like you were saying, especially lacking over the last few years. But there's been this slow and steady turn away from face-to-face interaction. And it's easy to feel isolated as a new mom. And I think that that's part of where all of this came from for me is that here I was stuck at home all day with a bunch of little kids all like a year and a half apart and I just wanted I wanted to talk with other grown-ups I wanted my kids to to you know run around and, and play with somebody and be able to have a grown-up conversation and this became for us something that we do in a simple way 
you know, just around our family dinner table, but also such a good inspiration to having some people over and and being able to, you know, talk about real things with, you know, with other grownups. For sure. And I think, too, our our children are in this world now where so much of their socializing is just expected to be online. And that's just it's very unhealthy. And we've seen that there's depression rates shooting through the roof, all sorts of trouble coming out of that disconnected life and also the perfectionism that comes with people really living in their relationships where they're showing their highlight reels to one another. And they just feel so, so like being human isn't good enough. And I love, yeah. <laughs> love this idea as a way of living counterculture to that, of really raising our children in a much more wholesome and holistic way of living. Yeah, I that hospitality is is the way to counteract that. And I joke with the kids like this place is this place is a mess. We got we're going to have to have to plan a party soon so that we get it cleaned up. But but really to you know to understand that that we're not perfection perfection is the goal in our spiritual life. It is not the goal in you know, in, in entertaining and, and, you know, we've had, we've had great luck with, you know, potlucks. Uh, we, we've got, we've got friends that, that do sort of this annual potluck for, for Candlemas. I'm blanking on which one it is, but you know, they just, they say we're, we're, we're going to have cocktails. Everybody bring food. And, you know, so that's, that's a really sort of simple way to have everybody share. Or, you know, I kind of prefer to, to do the cooking and 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 have like a seated dinner party and we'll put the kids in one room and we'll put the adults in the other room and one of my rules for for entertaining is that grown-ups get to go through the buffet first not kids kids are just going to take a bunch of stuff and wander off and not eat it because they don't eat at parties the grown-ups get to go first and the big kids help the little kids and the grown-ups get to talk it's fun that sounds like a really great way of making sure that everything is happening <laughs> in order. Kendra, I know you've gone through some tough seasons in life. Most recently, the passing of your husband. How have you decided in those seasons what to hold on to and what to let go? Yeah, I I would say, like I was saying before about how the calendar allows you to, you know, to skip things as necessary. But I would also say that that part of the beauty of it is is the fact that we had these family traditions and that and that keeping them up has has given us consolation and and sense of joy and nostalgia and normalcy in in a really challenging time but you know to be able to still have you know our our same family celebrations that we did when my husband was was alive I think it's been really helpful for us. We're coming up now on on a year since since my husband passed away, and you know it has not been um, you know it, it has not been a high water for Mark for me for you know for entertaining this year. We we've done it less, but but we have you know we we still have done it some, and and it you know it, it's because my my sort of personal preferences to have people over here rather than go someplace else. So it's, you know, it, it has felt good to me to still be able to say, you know what, look what's coming up and we're going to have a couple people over and, 
and be able to talk. But but the fact that we have, you know, we have those memories of sharing these celebrations with, you know, the kids with their dad. And we just recently had the feast of St. John the Baptist. And we have always done a big backyard bonfire. And, you know, and, and we did that again. And and it was my, you know, my dad and my oldest son were were putting it together, you know, and 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 not my husband, but but you know, having these traditions that we shared with him that we're still able to do now, I think, you know, is is comforting for for all of us. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I I think that just sounds like such a wonderful way to cherish those memories too. Now, Kendra, I have just one last question for you before we're done. And what is your favorite liturgical celebration? Yeah, can I just, can I pick a favorite kid instead? <laughs> uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> no, I would say that the one, the one observance that, that really is the most meaningful for us, and I, I will, I, I have to set this up by saying, I mean, we do things like, you know, on Fat Tuesday, before Lent starts, we gather up all the treats in the house and make ridiculous ice cream sundaes where we like try to eat all the treats in the house so that we get rid of them because we don't eat treats during Lent. We do stuff like that. We do the devil pinata for for Michaelmas. We do, you know, s'mores for St. Thomas More. But the one, if, if you pull my kids, the older ones anyway, they'll say that that the that their favorite thing that we do all year is the Christmas novena, which feels a little counterintuitive, but it has been so meaningful for us for so many years. And it was, it was something that we sort of started doing earlier in it. And so that even the older kids have the, have this memory of for the nine days before Christmas ending on Christmas Eve, we, we, just sit down together in in the living room. Um, oftentimes, we invite other people to to join us, but but not always. And we sit down and we say the this novena that was composed in like seventeen something. It's just sort of a composed novena where there's some an Old Testament Bible reading and a New Testament Bible reading and some really beautiful prayers. And it sort of traces, you know, it, it, the the Old Testament prefigurement of Jesus and then the New Testament. But it's really, the key is that we're sort of sitting down in what is sort of a, such a busy time in Advent and spending those, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes together every day for those nine days and, and really preparing together for Christmas. And I was, I was so surprised when I was putting together the, the Catholic all year compendium, the book, I was asking my oldest kids, like, all right, what are our, you know, what, what are your favorite things that we do every year? And the fact that, that they said that Christmas novena was, was the thing that they thought was, was the best thing we did was, you know, I thought that that was pretty amazing. And, and it is something that's really meaningful to me too, but, but it really, it is easy to get overwhelmed by the busyness of, of the Advent season. And so to have those you know, nine days where we spend that time together, really preparing our hearts for for Christmas to come, I think is a is a beautiful thing. It's finding those moments of just togetherness, and really, I can see it. I can picture this, and how infused with love this must have felt for all of your kids each year. Yeah, and you know, and and so it's 
you know, it, it also has little kids rolling around on the rug, you know, in, in, in the middle of the group. And it has, you know, it has breaks because somebody needs to go to the bathroom or somebody, it's just not going to work for, uh, for them tonight. And, and we need to run and put them to bed real quick. And so again, it's not, it's not perfection in, in the execution of it. That's actually something that I've been really grateful that we're able to have this show on formed because, you know, our, our, the the production team kept in the mistakes and kept in the messes, which I was so grateful that 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 they saw, you know, that they had the same vision that I did for it, where, you know, it it doesn't have to be perfect. It and it's still fun and memorable. And and, it you know, it's it's about it's about having these family experiences together. It's about learning about our faith. It's about having, you know, community and, and and you know the when things don't go when things don't go right then it's just funny and you you have that to talk about again next year so in in one of the episodes we did for holy thursday um my my eight, 17 year old son and i were gonna make a rice crispy treat lamb which is what we have for dessert on holy thursday and he we forgot uh, to have him spray his hands with cooking spray, which is really important when you're trying to mold a uh, a hot rice krispie treat lamb. And it was uh, a, just a hilarious mess. He had like mitts of <laughs> of rice krispie treats, but we had to stop the whole thing, wash them off, try again. Oh my goodness! But you know, but so you get to see you get to see what it actually looks like in my house, <laughs> which isn't always perfect, but but it's always fun. Oh, Kendra, thank you so much for this interview, for being here today, and for making this so much more approachable. Oh, thank you so much. Moms. Well, oh, and my team will be upset if I do not point out that that if you're looking for a way to to have us do some of the prep work on this stuff for you, we do. We have memberships that give you either print or print at home activities, and you know, calendars and coloring pages and recipes and things like that. And we also do, we have a subscription box is the top layer of our membership and that you can get feast day supplies for three feast days for each month. Things like home decor, foods, um, games, activities that are intended, you know, for all ages, for the whole family. Uh, and you can get it delivered right to your door if if you're looking for a way to, you know, to take some of the guesswork and prep work out of it. Absolutely. Those sound so helpful. And I will definitely include a link into the show notes, guys. So if you want to look that up and see if you can find anything that's going to be helpful to your family, please uh, take a look at the show notes. Right. Well, Thank you so much, Kendra. It was great to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. All right, friends, if you like this episode, one of the ways that we can get more awesome guests on this show is if you leave a review. So scroll to the bottom of this episode where the reviews are and hit those stars and then write me a little message about what your favorite episode was. I promise to read every single review and keep trying to get you the guests and information that helps you through this mission of motherhood.